Welcome back, Startup Nation, for the last episode of this very special presentation of the Startup Life podcast for International Podcast Day. So now I want to share with you my last reason why I love podcasting. Well, think about all the people that we've had on the show. We've had some amazing guests from literally around the country, right? And so podcasting literally expands your network. It expands your network, not only just for the purpose of having a guest on the podcast, but you've now been connected to somebody who who can probably help you on your journey, help you in your career, help you, you know, scale your your company or wherever the case may be. And and your network is so valuable, Startup Nation. And, And like I said, podcasting, allows you to build that network and build it really quickly because people are out here trying to be influencers, sell their book, or whatever the case may be, and you provide a platform for them to do exactly that. And that's how it happened with John Warner. John Warner, he reached out to me and said, hey, I love your show. I would love to come on and talk about my book and this, that, and the other. And I was like, hey, let's do it, John. No worries. And so let me shut up now so we can hear from John Warner, author, serial entrepreneur, and angel investor. Let's go. This week on The Startup Life. So there are two sides to it. Let me start with side one. So the Startup Launch Assistance map is purely a sequencing process. It says there's a lot to think about when you're a startup, and it doesn't matter whether you're a tiny startup or a a much more ambitious one. Um, And you've got to kind of put it all together uh, in order to make it work. So we have two eight-step processes. The first eight-step process is validation of your startup, and there are eight sub-steps to that. The second phase, if you get through the validation phase, and a lot of startups done, is then the execution stage. All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with John Warner, serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and author of his latest book, Slam. The startup life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. (laughs) Oh, this you crazy mother... Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own luck, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We got a big time guest in the building today. We have John Warner. What's going on, Doc Warner? Uh, It's great. I'm great. Thank you very much, Dominic, for to, uh, to be on the show. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. It truly is a pleasure to have you on the show. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the startup nation today? I think I am. Let's go for it. Uh, Let's do it. As always, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. So first things first, let's start this thing off right. If you would, Mr. Warner, let us know about your path to entrepreneurship up until this point. Okay, yeah, so it's been quite a journey from where I started. Um, I, very early in my career, uh, went into corporate life. 
so uh, I did uh, an undergraduate degree in philosophy, would you believe, of all things, which didn't really qualify me for a profession. Uh, so when I went into business, uh, it was really with a very conceptual view of what I might do. Um, but very early on, I was interested in how things got done. Uh, so I was interested in entrepreneurship, um, the internal uh, activity of getting new products and services to market inside these bigger corporations. Uh, so I did that for about 15 years or so. I worked with some big companies. I work for Air Products and Chemicals um, out of Pennsylvania. I work for ExxonMobil mm -hmm. around the world. Um, and what I noticed was that those entrepreneurship skills weren't very good corporately. So what it led me to eventually after 15 years of uh, trying to fight the good fight for entrepreneurship and realizing it was a losing game, I went off into management consulting work. Um, and that's where I really started to get into external entrepreneurship for the first time. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And you've been the CEO of five different organizations and three startups, correct? Exactly right. All right. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. And I know you was the you served as deputy CEO at ExxonMobil for a time. So I want to know what did you learn at ExxonMobil? Because I know it took you to the you know you know you did some in the UK, in the US, Australia, and even Nigeria. So what did you learn at ExxonMobil? I, I learned that big corporations uh, are very good at doing things on a standard basis. So okay. when they stuck to the knitting, they could do things well. So I, I learned that it was nice to have uh, a, a way of getting capital and investing it into, <clears throat> in, into familiar projects. What I also learned, though, is they weren't very good when new projects came along. Mm. Uh, it was slow and ponderous. And they really didn't have good mechanisms to bring uh, completely new approaches to market. So that, that was, those are the two big lessons. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to dive into the book. You, you just recently wrote a book, or released a book rather, called Slam, Build Your Startup Idea or Early Stage Business with Startup Launch Assistant Map. And Startup Nation, this is a great book. I, I just have to give that endorsement because... One of the things that it brings to lifestyle automation is a is a basically kind of a step by step way of uh, from ideation to market of how to build a business, how to get a business to market, and and you know John gives an excellent graphic, if you will, in the book to kind of point that out. So I, I want to ask you this, you know, John, because you know in the entrepreneurial world, in the business world, we've kind of started to kind of go away from the traditional business plan in favor of like a business canvas, which is something I work with uh, in an organization that I mentor young entrepreneurs, but also, you know, uh, your streamlined version with SLAM, that startup launch assistance map. So do you think traditional mm -hmm. business plans are useful anymore or just depends on the audience? You know, they do have a use and there's a lot of people. I, I, I know, Dominic, you came out of the banking world for a while. There are a number of banks that will still expect you to produce the business plan just to show your thinking is rigorous. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. I, I think the idea that you need a business plan first and out of the gate has been retired. I think that idea has gone away. Gotcha. You certainly don't need to be producing 50 or 60 pages because it's going to be pretty redundant as soon as you've produced it. Mm -hmm. The market's changed. Your thinking has changed. You want to be more agile than that. Absolutely. And that thinking was changed by the business model canvas. That's now 10 years old. Uh, that was all part of the lean startup movement. And I think it's been transformational. 
Um, it's helped people start to think about what are the components, the parts of the jigsaw puzzle I need to be thinking about all at the same time. And all I've been doing is building off the back of that. So SLAM uh, as a process is an outgrowth of that lean business thinking. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. So let's dive into SLAM a little bit. So, John, if you would, in your own words, sir, what is the SLAM process? So there are two sides to it. And let me start with side one. So okay. the startup launch assistance map is purely a sequencing process. It says there's a lot to think about when you're a startup, and it doesn't matter whether you're a tiny startup or a, a much more ambitious one. Um, and you've got to kind of put it all together uh, in order to make it work. So we have two eight-step processes. The first eight-step process is validation of your startup, and there are eight sub-steps to that. The second phase, if you get through the validation phase, and a lot of startups don't, is then the execution stage. So think about this in terms of the first side is about, do I have a product market fit, at least broadly, or I'm on, on a path to product market fit? And then the, the second side of the SLAM map, um, which we call the GRAND map because it's an acronym, uh, the word GRAND, right. so you end up with a GRAND SLAM if you do this well, is about actually scaling and growing your startup and getting to good places, um, usually fiscally. So that's the, the overall process. And they're both just simple uh, guidelines to help you think about all of those uh, moving parts. Um, so you can follow them sequentially. That's why there are eight steps on both sides. You do step one, two, three in sequence, but recognize that they're all interactive. They all depend on one another as you go through the journey. For sure, for sure. And, and you said that this is something, you know, you said in the book that this is something that is not necessarily meant to replace the business canvas, but it can definitely work well with it, correct? I think so. And I think you can trans the business model canvas has been around for 10 years now and there are some right. excellent resources that support it now. And there's video and people like Steve Blank and uh, Eric Reese who wrote the lean startup, I think have created fantastic resources where I think slam works well um, is in the realm of smaller startups, earlier stage and when people are ideating, when they've got a side hustle, they'd like to go and make into maybe a full-time uh, job that employs them and get away from, you know, maybe what they don't like doing anymore, or a fairly early stage startup, it's actually a little simpler, a little easier, uh, and gets people to de-risk what they're doing before perhaps they would then use the business model canvas at a later stage. So uh, it is a standalone, but if they want to, they're not going to lose anything by using Slam versus the business model canvas. They may gain something actually. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. So Startup Nation, when I read the book, you know, and, and John talks about that A-step process and slam one of the steps that stood out to me was step number four and i want to read mm -hmm. the excerpts from the book and step number four is proof points that the channels metrics and target customer segments are the right ones and i want to read a little bit more to kind of hit this bring this point home just a little bit it says oh. that the customer discovery conversations are not pitch conversation where the startup founder promotes or describes the product or service as the customer what he or she thinks about, but listening to centered conversation. Great care needs to be taken into the discovery conversations to avoid presenting any early stage or prototype solutions or any early product. And so Startup Nation, the reason I love this point is because it's the first moment that out somebody outside of the organization gets to see what you're trying to work on, right? And it also gives you a point where 
if you should move forward or maybe take a step back. So if you were advising someone who got to this point, John, and they had to take a step back, what questions would they need to ask themselves? Absolutely. And, you know, Dominic, it's really good you pulled out that point because that's almost the fulcrum point on the slam Absolutely. map, on the validation journey. Absolutely. It's getting the customer because, you know, we know no plan survives first contact with the customer. Mm-hmm. So when you get outside the building, outside your own head, you know, mom and dad and your Uncle Billy who tells you you're wonderful and your idea is great. You're going to talk to real people who might buy your products. Mm-hmm. If you're not listening to them, you might be going on naively thinking you've got a scalable project when it isn't. So I call that a corroboration step. And what you're doing is talking to people at scale. So what I advise people to do is not talk to family, not talk to friends, get in front of the beachhead customer and listen. It's not talking. You're not pitching them. You're not showing them your prototype. You're doing none of the above. You're really trying to inhabit their head and saying, how do they think about uh, the particular problem you're trying to solve for in a very open way? Um, that's going to give you insights that prove that what you believe uh, about your product is actually true. And it may be true, but it may not be. Uh, and both results are a good one because you don't want to go forward until you've actually got that corroboration. It's a crucial step and you're going to keep going back to it. In fact, I very often call it the I believe step because mm. what you're testing is, are my beliefs shared by other people? And if they are, you've got something that's scalable. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, and like I said, that I, I, I love, you know, not to say that the whole thing isn't great because the whole thing is great. The whole process is great. But I just feel like that, that, that step four is a very pivotal piece. And, and thank you for sharing that insight on that, Priest. I appreciate that. So, you know, in sure. the you know, you, you talk about how SLAM is definitely for, you know, in that ideation phase, that new entrepreneur, that startup, if you will, but also a seasoned entrepreneur could use it as well. So if I'm a 15-year veteran entrepreneur, how could I use SLAM, uh, John? Yeah, I think it's about going and almost retrofitting what you already know. And I think it's because, and I'm, I'm no different to anyone else, I think I know what the startup journey looks like. And as a result of that, when you're a seasoned entrepreneur, you're prone to jump over steps or maybe not give them enough attention and time and energy. So that customer discovery step we just talked about, you might think, well, maybe I can just talk to a few people. Maybe I don't need to go and talk to people at scale. Or maybe I don't need to worry quite so much about whether the product is going to fit the market that I'm trying to serve. And I'm building features and extra things in that may not be needed. What it does is gives you a checklist so that your thinking is not going to miss those steps. It says, have I really got an answer for all eight of those steps on the first uh, model, the first eight steps on the SLAM model, um, so that I can answer those questions, particularly if I'm looking for external investment uh, for this, because you're then able to answer those questions in front of the people who are asking you about them and you're not making it up as you go along. Oh, yeah, that making it up as you go along is not a good thing. It's (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not a good thing, Startup Nation, for sure. And Startup Nation, if, if, if you know, Slam seems like a, a thing that you should definitely have in your startup uh, kit, you can go on the website. We have the link in the show notes for easy access for you to purchase uh, John's book. I think it's the one that you definitely need there in your entrepreneurial toolkit for sure. So, John, you recently wrote a piece you know, on Medium that kind of was like a case study for SLAM. So mm-hmm. you see these success stories of people using SLAM. How does that make you feel that you've made 
someone's path of entrepreneurship just a little bit easier? I, I, I love working with entrepreneurs, and I think the mentoring process is one of the great joys of life, watching individuals get to a good place. Um, and I particularly like it when it comes to side hustlers, you know, individuals who perhaps are making a lot of money right now, but it's clearly their passion. Um, and that's where they want to get. And I think what the slam process does is allows them to go and make an assessment, whether that's their escape route, if you like, uh, can they actually turn this into something bigger and better? So whether in, as in that medium article, there are a couple of people doing photography for businesses, which they clearly enjoy and they can scale that up or it's a completely different sort of business. Maybe they're just doing something on Shopify. Maybe they're selling jewelry. Maybe they're wanting to run a taco tr uh, truck or something. Can they turn that into something that gives them the lifestyle they want or be even bigger potentially? Is their idea gonna be something that matters at scale? Uh, I love that process and it's just a joy to work with people through it because you see the lights go on. It takes a little while. Sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months, right. but it, it, it comes a point at which they suddenly, the lights go on, they realize they've got something amazing and that's just such a joy. For sure, and that, that is definitely the beauty of, of mentoring uh, young entrepreneurs. Like I said earlier, I, I mentor uh, entrepreneurs, uh, uh, teenage entrepreneurs here in Memphis uh, in a program mm -hmm. called Light, uh, Let's Innovate Through Education. And, and so, like you said, to see the lights go on even no matter when it get, when it goes on it, it's a it's a great feeling to have so i wanted to get your take on that so john I, I believe you know uh design thinking is something that is universal and can be used in many ways whether it's entrepreneurship or anything in life and so do you think that the slam process model can be used outside of entrepreneurship maybe say in education or government from that regard I, absolutely it can and in fact i in the in the past i have had as many people doing social entrepreneurship who've been in the non-profit world and in some cases even in the government world where what they're trying to do is to change an approach and i think the thinking is the same because if you you compare them it's not just the profit motive that matters in the first instance it's is there a problem out there that needs solving so this is step one, the unmet need. And the unmet need you can break into pains and gains. Is this a problem, a difficulty, a friction point? Or is it something where someone can do something new they've never done before? Now that's just as true in government circles. It might be a piece of bureaucracy or some admin or something that takes a long time that you're making better for, for not only that agency, but for the people they serve. Uh, the same in social entrepreneurship. Uh, this might be something that you know feeds people in the third world or gives people shelter where they don't have any. You can still do a deep dive entrepreneurially in terms of the unmet need and who's got the big issue that you need to solve for first so you can go out there with a product or a service that really works. So it works well and it works well in low-tech, high-tech, service, product. It really doesn't matter because it's really just giving you an exploration journey in a sequential way. That's, that's the beauty and the simplicity of the model. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that, John. I appreciate that. And also startup nation, you know, uh, on the B side of slam, you know, and John mentioned this earlier, you have the grand process and grand is an acronym for mm -hmm. goal results, action and navigational device. And so you can get that content in his book. And we have a link to the show notes for easy access for you to purchase uh, slam in the, the book, you know, like I said, we had the link there in the show notes for easy access for sure. 
So before we go to uh, break, John, I want to ask you something because I came across an article in Forbes, uh, and and I know that you know you have a uh, a degree in organizational psychology with a specialism uh, in uh, in neuroscience, a PhD, may I add. Uh, and, and so Indeed. design thinking is something that is very you know near and dear. It's something that you definitely know a lot about. And so I came across a Forbes article that highlighted a school. It's called the Grand Rapids Public Museum School, where it engages mm-hmm. immersive and experiential learning that really does foster design thinking. So I guess I want to get your take on this, you know, as a mentor, as an educator yourself. How important is it for children at an early age to have that mindset of analytical and design thinking? I think it's so crucial, Dominic. I know you'd expect me to say that, but let me try and and illustrate it. For sure. I don't think we teach our children today a number of things. And I think first in those is critical thinking. It's the ability to think independently, to take initiative, to actually try and have a go at solving a problem and not have all the tools to do so. We're not trying to teach people analytical skills so it creates paralysis by analysis. Mm. We're trying to get people out into the field and doing things. One of the best ways to learn is to get people to you know, jump into the deep end really quickly. Uh, again, I think you have background, uh, army background, I think, Dominic, you're a good yes. example. What's the best way to learn uh, how you need to get things done, whether you're maintaining trucks or you're feeding people or you're doing things in the field, it's actually getting out there and practicing and getting into the deep end. And entrepreneurship's no different. You want to go and give people the confidence early on that they can play, they can cut code and do simple things initially. And from those simple things, become bigger things become possible. Uh, the same is true if you're building hardware or a product. You can go out there and solve problems um, just by starting in small baby steps and building from there. And look at how far some of the companies that you know are famous today have gone. You know, how much did the three guys who started Airbnb know about the hotel industry? They had to start at the beginning, or someone like Elon Musk says he spent most of his time early on when it came to battery technology on YouTube watching videos because he didn't do a degree in that. Right. He had to go and immerse himself so he could ask the right questions and assemble the right teams to solve the problems. So if we teach our children those skills uh, very early on and teach them at college and teach them at university, we're going to have a better world. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How do you like being on the startup life so far, John? It's fantastic. Enjoying it a lot. Awesome stuff. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're getting great value from John's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network.
Hey business owner, the Startup Life reach is growing. Wouldn't you like your business to grow with it? Reach out to us to advertise on the Startup Life. You can reach us at 901-857-4818 or you can email me at dominic at askowlsolutions.com. I mean, don't get me wrong, like this is a great music to have break on, but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music, but your business being advertised on it? All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. So John, if you would, tell me about uh, Silver Moonshots and the work that you do there. Okay, so in my consulting work that I did in the middle of my career, I was working mainly in the healthcare space. And what I found very early on is a, a huge amount of our money in the healthcare space. It's three and a half trillion dollars, 15%, nearly 20 actually of our budget for the US is spent on healthcare. And 80% of that is spent on older adults. And, and for me, older adults is anyone from 50 years and older. Right. That's an older adult. We have 115 million of them in this country, but their needs are under met. So in other words, they kind of get marginalized. They don't have enough attention paid to them. So slowly but surely, I started getting interested in, well, what are their unmet needs and who's out there solving for them? And that's often called the longevity uh, economy, uh, sometimes the aging economy. Um, and in it, there's aging tech and, and innovation. Um, and that's the space that I like to play in a lot these days. So who out there is ideating and has got startup companies that are disruptive that can change the way older adults are, are treated? And that's across the board, not just in terms of their healthcare uh, and you know solving for the disease states they've got, but how do they get entertained? Uh, how do we give them mobility options? How do we use uh, you know voice on an Alexa or Google Home um, to go and help people who are housebound, et cetera? So there are a slew of issues in that realm alone. Uh, so I, I formed Silver Moonshots with two partners to specifically focus on, uh, on that sector and bring ideators together and show them what the customer looked like because you can't treat 150 million people as if they're exactly the same. Um, that's clearly patently absurd. Right, right. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to, you know, and that's a great transition because you actually wrote a LinkedIn article recently talking about those unmet needs and stuff like that. So let me ask you this. What are some of those, no, those specifically, what are some of those unmet needs that we're discussing that maybe somebody my age doesn't even think about? Yeah, there's many and various. And let's put them into two broad buckets. Okay. And I've alluded to them. One would be on the literally on the healthcare side, which is staying well and keeping well. Right. So stay, staying well is often the wellness market, and that's about what do I eat, for example, in diet and nutrition, how do I exercise, how do I sleep, and getting quality earlier uh, in life so that you can have a uh, healthy, prosperous, older life. So Dominic, today you are doing things that might impact on what you're going to do 10, 20, 30 years down the road. It's like brushing your teeth, right? What you're doing today is going to pay off um, down the road from here. Absolutely. So what are we doing on the wellness side? And then if you do develop some kind of disease state, whatever that may be, um, then you can solve for that as well. So we need ideation on the healthcare side big time. But there's a whole bunch of other issues unmet needs that aren't on the healthcare side. And I can pick out a whole number of these, but let's just pick one. And it might be something like entertainment, for example. Uh, what people pay attention to, whether it's on the radio, TV, cable, uh, in the cinemas, doesn't necessarily cater very well for someone who's 60 or 70 or 80. The average cinema goer, for example, is 19. 
and uh, films tend to be orientated to the 18 to 25 category. Um, about 80% of all films are aiming at that demographic. What about all of these 150 million people that like going to the movies and actually want to see entertainment that's also tailored for their needs? Um, and the same to other channels. So I'm just picking that up as one area where you can find a range of um, unmet needs uh, just in a category like entertainment, let alone moving on to others. Right. If I give you an idea. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It absolutely does. And, and I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think it's one of those things like, you know, when we're talking about entrepreneurship and business, stuff like that, it's all, we're, we're always talking about catering to the 18 to 49 demographic as if, you know, somebody who's 50 plus doesn't like going to the movies, wouldn't like doing right hearing, wouldn't like to, you know, do a, a plethora of things, you know, and stuff like that. So I really wanted to highlight that and ask you about that, because I know this is a passion for you for sure. Absolutely, it is. And just to pick up one thing you said, ride sharing is a beautiful subject because a lot of people would want to ride share, but the way it's been designed has been for largely for millennials. Right. Um, it starts with a smartphone app. You can't pick up a phone and dial for Lyft and for Uber. So we know about 40% of the population that are over the age of 65 don't have a smartphone. So do we really not want them riding? They've got the money on the hip to do it, but we haven't provided the solutions. So there's a huge unmet need right now that's probably worth billions of dollars to those companies if they solve for it. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And so Startup Nation, if you're, if you're in... Uh, that phase of thinking about what type of company to start and what type of idea you want to drive. If you go into uh, John's LinkedIn uh, page and you see his article that he wrote, there's quite a few opportunities there uh, to cater to that demographic for sure. So John, I appreciate you sharing that. And once again, Startup Nation, if you want to follow John on LinkedIn, we have a link in the show notes for easy access. But, But like I said, John, thank you so much for sharing that value. I appreciate that. Sure. No worries. So, you know, I know you're also an ambassador at Aging 2.0, Aging 2.0 and an angel investor as well. So I want to ask you this. For those that started to make sure we're always looking for funding and they're pitching to investors, what are some of those things they should keep in mind when they're pitching to an investor and trying to get in, investing dollars? What are investors looking to hear in those regards? So they're looking mostly for two things, in my opinion. They're looking for passion around an unmet need that is real in the marketplace that they can see clearly which means you have to describe it so you have to go and say here's the problem here's why it matters and i have passion for solving this now it doesn't mean expertise you don't need to be deep in knowledge but you do need to go and say why you care about that particular problem it might be a problem you've experienced if it's in the older adult space, it might be that your parents or grandparents have ex- experienced if you're in aging technology. But either way, you want to d- demonstrate that you're passionate and that you can have a whole bunch of hustle around that issue. So that's number one, I think. Okay. Secondly, they're going to look and see who's the team who's with you. Uh, it's not enough these days in front of uh, particularly institutional investors and even angels these days to say, I'm a one-person band. They're really going to say, who is going to help you solve this problem? Um, And again, it doesn't need to be full-time necessarily. You can have fractional people around you. You can have advisors around you. But they've got to be real. You've got to go and say why they're in with you and demonstrate that they're solving that problem that you're putting in front. If you can do those two things, you're going to get a long way down the road um, in terms of getting investment. 
Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. And Startup Nation, I hope you you caught all of that. This is c coming from an angel investor himself. So hope you caught all that value and those details in that regard for sure. And so, John, I know that you're also an adjunct professor and mentor of entrepreneurship at University of Redlands. Tell us how that experience has been going for you. Yeah, they're really good. And I think this is a really interesting experience because I'm, I'm finding out something that I didn't know until now. Okay. I, I did my MBA about 15 years ago. And um, when I did it, we were really preparing people for life, corporate life. Mm -hmm. You know, how to come be a middle manager or a senior manager in a big corporation like Exxon that I used to work for. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. Right. But the world is changing. The world of today is a whole bunch of smaller organizations that are much more agile uh, mm. and you need different skills. So one of the things I found out is that entrepreneurship in the way that Lean teaches it and that I like to practice it <clears throat> hasn't been part of the MBA curriculum. So what we've done in Redlands is we've reorientated the MBA so that in that two years, they're still doing some of the more corporate analytics and some of the things you still need. Uh, to think about in terms of deep corporate finance and return on investment and some of those things. But we're also teaching agile skills. We're also giving people some of the data that we're capturing on the SLAM map. How do you go about this? So I'll give you one example. We're no longer teaching marketing as if it's a fixed, rigid thing, and all you have to do is read the big book on it, and you've kind of got it down. Right. We're teaching marketing now as go-to-market strategy. How do you go and get into a channel that's going to matter to the people that you're targeting? And it becomes a very different subject to teach when you do it that way. And that's been hugely enjoyable watching the shift at the university. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So with that being said, and, and you start to foster and, and create these new, newly minted entrepreneurs that you teach or mentor and stuff like that. I want to ask you this. This is kind of a big philosophical question. What do you think of the state of entrepreneurship uh, in here in the U.S.? You know, I've got two answers to that. I okay. think one of the sad truths is that we've got less people going into entrepreneurship than we did uh, 10 years ago. We've seen a slight decline. Okay. Uh, and I think that's just a fact. It's one of those things we see. So I think in the U.S., I think we need to reverse that trend. And I think that's because people see it as risky, and it is. Um, but we need to provide more support for them so they feel comfortable in going. And as you said earlier, teach them some of these skills at earlier stages, at school, at college, before they, they get out. So I think that's one thing. Having said that, the skills we've got, even in a slightly declining volume of, of startups, is I actually think we've got fantastic skills. Um, we've got great mentors. We've actually got great startup leaders. We've got some really good role models. And I think we're something of the envy of the world. And it's not just in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley leads the world in terms of investment and startups. We know San Francisco Bay Area is amazing. Right. But we're seeing startup um, ecosystems evolve in all sorts of cities around the US now. It's very strong in the big cities like LA, Chicago, New York now. But in smaller towns like Kansas City, Nashville, Memphis has got fantastic ecosystems that are evolving very quickly and starting to draw people in. So I think we're going to see the scene change. We're going to reverse that trend I mentioned earlier. Um, and I think we're going to therefore um, be able to go forward very strongly from here. So I'm very bullish about the future. Very bullish about the future. I love to hear that. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. 
So, John, let me ask you this, because, you know, you, we talked about you teaching and you being, you know, a mentor and stuff like that. Who are some of your mentors? Yeah. You know, my first ones were the people who thought entrepreneurially when I was in the corporate world. Okay. Uh, I had uh, a, a colleague in, in Air Products and Chemicals, I remember, who was a CFO, and I remember he had such a conceptual view of the world. And I learned a lot from him just because he didn't think in straight lines. He was always trying to go and think about what's the context here, what's the big picture. And then the second mentor I remember very early on in Exxon was a guy who really taught me that getting people uh, together in strong ways was critical to success. And it wasn't just, you know, Freddie, who's sitting next to you is the best guy to come into a startup with me. You've really got to ask the question, is this person going to be right for the job we've got at hand? And that's how you assemble teams. And you really want to make sure those people are, you know, are smart. And in some cases, smarter than you. You're only as good as the team you've got around you. And you need to get out of your own way. Absolutely. So those were the two big mentors for me early on, um, and I've taken the lessons they gave me all the way through into what I've been doing myself ever since. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. So in my show prep, John, I saw that uh, you play tennis. Do you still play at all? Yeah, you know, I do. I play recreationally these days. Okay. I, I actually played the Junior Wimbledon tournament when I was 18, oh. and I got... I got beaten in the final, so I actually didn't quite make it to Junior Wimbledon, and uh, that was kind of the pinnacle of my career. So now I just uh, I just play uh, socially. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to ask you the hardest question today. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. So I, I'm going to give you any tennis superstar from any era, right? If you could pick one uh, to uh, build a company with, who would it be and why? Oh, that's such a tough one. Um, my favorite tennis player was Rod Laver, which is from the distant past, the Australian left-hander. Okay. Um, but the guy today I like um, in build a business with, because I think he's got so much style and panache, would have to be Roger Federer. Ah. Uh, not only does he play an elegant game on the court, but if you look at the way he shows up in terms of his PR, how he does his interviews, mm. how he represents his brand, uh, that guy is class in everything he does, uh, and I think he would be such a good person to have as a stable co-founder in, in any startup situation. He's built his own startup, multi-million dollar startup, by surrounding himself with a fantastic team and being the brand ambassador par excellence at the, at the head of his brand. Absolutely. I could not argue with that one for sure. Roger Federer definitely is a great example of a walking, talking, breathing brand for sure. That is very successful and winning doesn't hurt either, does it? It doesn't. Yeah. He must've been pretty gutted when uh, it was 12 all and he had a couple of uh, championship points at Wimbledon recently, but there yeah. you go. You can't win them all. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So thank you for indulging me. I appreciate that. So John, I think <laughs> all entrepreneurs have a superpower. What's yours and why? So I think my skill set is that big picture thinking. I like to think outside the box as much as possible. So rather than just looking at an issue uh, in terms of the way it's presented to me, I like to see to what it's connected um, and challenge people then in terms of what that means. So I think, uh, I hope I do this in a nice way, I'm about pushing back at individuals about the assumptions they hold I hear that. Uh, in order to get them thinking a bit more broadly. That's kind of what I like to think is my superpower. 
Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that for sure. And before I ask my last question, John, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Start of Life podcast, powered by the Bench Podcast Network. You've gave great, amazing value, great nuggets from your book, Slam. I just want to make sure I say the title correctly. So Slam, build your startup idea or early stage business with Startup Launch Assistant Map. You can get that Startup Nation. Purchase that with the link in the show notes for easy access. You gave great value with your book and just everything else from uh, how to uh, approach an investor and everything in between. So I appreciate all of the value you have given us so far, John, for sure. You're most welcome. Awesome stuff. So now I want to turn the microphone over to you because look, there's an entrepreneur out there in Startup Nation that's either afraid to start or uh, they're they're stuck in their business and they need a path forward. John, if you would, please, sir, give them some words of motivation today. All right. So don't accept in life, Startup Nation uh, people, that you uh, have to go and stay doing what you're doing, particularly if you're not enjoying it. You do have a chance to go out there and start something. It could be really small, but the trick is get out there and do something. If you can, go and find someone that you enjoy working with uh, to do it as a partner. That's a great thing to go and do. Um, and get get out there and find the unmet need that you want to solve for. The more that that's in your life and you can see it yourself, the better, because you'll develop passion around that. So you want to just make sure you're out there acting. Action's the key. Don't overthink this. Um, and I think if you use the SLAM map to be self-serving, but you could use the business model canvas as well, you can de-risk what you're doing without spending a lot of money. And you might just find you've got something that is going to go uh, very quickly and get very large and give you opportunities you didn't even imagine. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that, John. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life podcast. Did you enjoy yourself, John? I thought we had a great conversation, Dominic, and enjoyed your questions. Awesome stuff. Would you be willing to come back? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. On your path to entrepreneurship, Startup Nation, you're, you're going to need resources and tools and keys to make sure you're scaling and scaling properly and responsibly. And John Warner's book does exactly that. When you follow those steps in the SLAM model, it really does, you know, get to the root of things, get to the details and the nuts and bolts of things of really scaling your business. And it forces you to really think about the business, it really forces you to ask yourself some very tough questions. And that's really important because when you have a good business and you, and you scale a great company, you know, having the foundations or having the fundamentals downright is extremely important. And that's why John is a great person to follow on social media. And his book is something you definitely need in your entrepreneurial toolkit. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as can be now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. 
Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. So Startup Nation, I really hope you enjoyed our presentation for International Podcast Day. It's it's a very special day for us as podcasters. Well, we kind of like do little things, do things a little differently like we did for the Startup Life Podcast. But now I guess it's time to get back to our regularly scheduled programming. And so I guess we need to give you some bonus content for the next episode because I kind of like you guys or whatever. So here you go. If you don't like uh, um, doing the maintenance work, do it. If you like doing it, then hire somebody to run the company. Tony Robbins is not the CEO of his company. There's many figureheads out there that do not run their business. Right. They don't do the day-to-day stuff. They hire people to do that because they love being on stage or they like doing other things. That Startup Nation is my really good friend, Terry Ogburn, executive coach and serial entrepreneur. So if you want to get that episode as soon as it's available, go ahead and subscribe to the Startup Life Podcast on any of your major podcast platforms. So that way, when that episode with Terry is available, it'll be right there waiting for you. But until then, Startup Nation, get out of here. You got a company to grow.